Hey, Jericho. Hello. Welcome back. Thank you. It's 2018. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Did you have a good holiday? Mm-hmm. It was restful. Your first American New Year's. I didn't do anything. So we're here with Kate Berlant. But first, I want to talk about Skillshare. So it's January now, which means you're probably still thinking about your New Year's resolutions. While many people have resolved to go on a diet, hit the gym, or maybe call your mom more often, Mm-mm. our sponsor Skillshare wants all of us to use 2018 to learn new skills and make this year the best year yet. So what is Skillshare? Skillshare is an online learning platform with over 18,000 classes in business, marketing, entrepreneurship, technology, and more. Whether you're trying to deepen your professional skill set, start a side hustle, or even build your business, Skillshare will keep you learning in 2018 and beyond. Amazing. I love Skillshare. It's super easy to sign up. It's beautiful. The courses are super easy to navigate and really, really understandable. And you can take classes in food photography if you are a social media manager, productivity courses, writing for online engagement, all the kinds of things that our community is constantly talking to one another about, how they can improve. Well, it's Skillshare. And just in time for the new year, Skillshare is offering Girl Boss Radio listeners a limited time offer of three months of Skillshare for just 99 cents. I don't know if learning gets any cheaper than that. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash Girlboss99. That's S-K-I-L-L-S-H-A-R-E dot com slash Girlboss99 to get three months of Skillshare for only 99 cents and start learning today. The offer expires February 15th, 2018. Success. It's such a complicated idea, and yet for so long we've all collectively subscribed to a single definition of the word, which was likely given to us by a white-haired dude somewhere in a boardroom in the 1960s. And there's nothing wrong with that definition, with the notion of climbing a corporate ladder with a singular focus. But it's time to make space for a few other definitions, for side hustles and well-being and failing forward, and for the idea that success is a wild ride, not the destination at the end of it. Join me for a journey into the lives of women who are redefining success and paving the way for others with grit and grace. I'm Sophia Amoruso, the founder and CEO of Girlboss Media, and this is Girlboss Radio. It's hard to believe, but even in 2018, men are still making bank telling sophomoric and offensive jokes about women. Kate Berlant is a unicorn among them. She's a comedian whose style is kind of hard to define, and that's exactly the way she likes it. Words like experimental and absurd could be used. Words like feminist and intellectual could be used too. The stand-up, when I started my stand-up, was all really written out, like word for word, um, very planned. And then I started... When I moved to New York, I started doing open mics where I would just get up and not really know what I was going to do and kind of just kind of stream of consciousness, kind of ramble or talk and like, and that started to get a reaction and started to be my favorite way to perform. And then from that, like I said, I kind of became writing for me. I would like free associate and like find things. At times, it's like you're sitting with a motivational speaker hearing Kate perform. At other times, it's like you're having a conversation with your bestie. That it's like the greatest feeling. We're making things that are really your own. And I think that's why I love stand-up so much is that it's directly from me. I mean, it's just like there's no I'm curating the experience. It's just it's just mine. That's really the greatest feeling. Kate Berlant is creating an experience for audiences. And she's shifting the paradigm for women in comedy. I took an improv 101 class when I was 18. And I hated it. I have like a huge problem with authority. And I was like, don't teach me. You can't teach me or something. Also... Again, I was like the youngest. It was mostly men. Um, My teacher was a guy who I could tell didn't think I was funny. And I just felt kind of like belittled by him and the whole thing. And I was like, I don't want to like bow down to this system in order to like do what I want to do. Today, she'll talk to us about what it's like to be a stand-up comedian and why doing it is the best way to do it. But first, Jericho. Hey, Jericho. Hi there. I still say Jericho for some reason. So what's going on this week? This week, we're going to talk about something a little different. It's not a story on girlboss.com. It's a new podcast, my new podcast. (gasps) Is it called The Jericho Show? 
I wish. Or the Jericho. <laughs> I should enunciate. The Jericho. Tell me more. I'm having regrets about the name now. It's called Self-Service and it's all about self-care. And it drops on Sundays and it wants listeners to relax, learn more about loving themselves and learn a bit about astrology and wellness and basically just like be good to themselves and each other. Yeah, that's what we want for you. That's what I want. And so self-service Sundays, it's going to be a thing. This drops on January 14th? Yes. Okay. And tell me about the show. Tell me a little bit about the format and the first episodes and who might be contributing uh-huh well if you love astrology and tarot and stuff that's a little bit witchy you've come to the right place with self-service because every week we're going to do either like a little bit of a guided meditation or i'm going to pull a tarot card for everybody to talk Ooh. about what could be in store for us for the week <laughs> energetically speaking of course and every week we're going to have two amazing guests one is a psychologist who specializes in young women and girls and her name's Dr. Lauren and she's going to break down self-care and everything about basically how we're thinking about ourselves. And the second person is Girl Boss's resident astrologer, Jessica Lanyato, and she's going to answer our big astrology questions. Um, I think on the first episode, she's going to explain to us what the new moon is actually all about and why we should care. And she's also going to give us forecasts for the week ahead. Ooh. Uh-huh. I can't wait. Thank um, you so much. Yeah. And I heard the music is going to be kind of Enya-like. I'm hoping so. I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> so self-service. It's coming January 14th. We'll tell you guys more next week. Oh, my God. If I was doing stand-up comedy, all I would be thinking about is going home and getting in bed. And, well, speaking of getting in bed, there's no softer, more comfortable sheets than parachute home sheets. That's true. You love yours, right? That's very true. They look great. They feel good. They're responsibly made without any harmful dyes. And they're made at family-owned factories in Europe. Um, I mean, I've felt them, and they make me want to throw out, like, this like this stuff that I know I paid, like, way too much money for to have in my house. Like, really, really soft. They also have incredibly soft, perfect towels. I mean, this is the time of year to upgrade your like sleep situation, your self-care situation, like bringing yourself some softness into your world mm-hmm. just to reset. So visit ParachuteHome.com slash GirlBoss for free shipping and returns. That's ParachuteHome.com slash GirlBoss, P-A-R-A-C-H-U-T-E-H-O-M-E.com slash GirlBoss for free shipping and returns. They offer a 60-night trial, so if you don't love their super soft, beautiful sheets, just send them back, no questions asked. Now I'd like to introduce you to actress, comedian, writer, Kate Berlant. Welcome to Girl Boss Radio. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining me. So you grew up in Santa Monica. Yes. And you're an only child. Yes. Tell me about your early life. I do have a prenatal memory. Wow. But I think it might be fabricated. My dad does tell me that when I was like three, I was, I would like talk about like the womb. Whoa. <laughs> what did you say about the womb? Or I was like, I was like, where was like the place? Like when I was like really small, it's like the warm place or like something. Who knows? My dad also has such an active, like, like he made it up and now I've just invented the memory, but I have a very strong false memory of the womb. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that was the birth of comedy for me was just in the womb. Yeah. I've been an only <laughs> just child. Just by yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just riff in there. Yeah. I'm an only child. My parents had me like later in life. My mom had me when she was 43. Cool. Yeah. That's like normal in LA now. I know. I love it. That's like my friends are now. <laughs> I have like three friends that are like in like 40 in their early 40s having kids. I'm like, thank God. And so growing up, I don't know, just uh, unremarkable. In many ways, probably. What'd your parents do? My dad's an artist and my mom, my mom stopped working when she, when she had me at 43, but, but she did like, she's an artistic person. She did performance art in the seventies and she was a set designer. I'm close with them. It's like, it's, it's good. Did you always dream of being a comedian? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, when I was very young, I definitely was like the class clown and everything. It was very goofy but for me at first I was like oh I want to be an actor 
I was like, I'm going to be like, I want to be an actress. And then when I was like 17, I started getting into comedy. And that's when I first did stand up when I was 17. Um, at the Laugh Factory. Oh, wow. It was Brutalidad. <laughs> that's like, that's a big deal. Yeah, it's, I mean, I, well, the first time I did stand-up was actually at my high school. In the basement of the high school, I put on a show that I called Just Another Pretty Farce, because apparently oh I'm God. from the Catskills. <laughs> and I did stand-up, and then I got a fake ID so I could go to the Laugh Factory and do the open mic there, because you had to be 21. It was bad. I think about that now and I'm just shocked. It makes me like in a very sweet way proud of myself, like proud of like, like 17. I I just don't know how I did it truly because it was, I was by far the youngest. I would see maybe two women, but it was exclusively men and it was just utterly strange. Did you invite your parents? No, no, no. I was very, in fact, only until very recently have I started letting my parents come to shows. I've always felt very strange about that. It just feels like too intimate and like, and not because I'm worried. It's not like my material is like blue or something or like, I, I just, it's just like too much. How do you find material? Like where does material, <laughs> does it find you? Ugh, I don't know. I, um, I improvise a lot on stage and that's kind of, I've re- that sort of is my writing process is just performing. So I'll get up and like, things come up and then I'm like, okay, I can repeat that. Is that ever terrifying for you? Yeah. Like even last night, like I had two shows last night. One was very fun where I was, yeah, like improvising. It just was fun. And the second one just was like, I just wasn't, it's, it is stressful sometimes because it's so mood based and it really is kind of like, I just don't, I mean, of course I have material I can like fall back on or that I put in there to not just let it collapse into full chaos. But it just was like within 30 seconds, I was like, it's not going to happen. I was like, I can feel it. Like the spirit's not with me. I just like, wasn't. So it can be stressful. What were some of your early jobs? Like I did studio assistant work for artists. So I worked in Venice. I worked for Ed Moses and, um, I had a job for Chris Burden in Topanga, like assembling his, some incredible, huge, like sculptures. Yeah. Made some friends that way. And then I worked in New York. I, I worked in retail at um, Laurel Canyon. It was a vintage cowboy boot store. I was fired, the capital <laughs> F. What um, were you fired for? I was fired completely logically because I was like, so I'm going to leave for like a month. So like I won't be available to work in December. Yeah. And they were like, you're fired. Yeah. And I was like, like, you can't do that. And I was like, what? I cried. <laughs> um, Claire Danes came in and bought a denim jacket. And then when I did the thing with the receipt, I said, can I get your autograph? And then I was like, don't say that. She's a celebrity. And it was too late. Oh, man. Yeah. So you did ask for her. For her autograph in a retail Oh, way. like for her Yeah, like, can oh, I get yeah. your autograph? And then I was like, oh, for her, this must be, this is just you, a Was that part moment. of why you got fired? No, thank mm. God, no. Mm. But there were mice that would run around. I'd have to, like, stomp the cowboy boots and get the mice out. Okay, well, maybe not a great place they to work. Closed. But they were very nice. If the if the people that opened the store are listening, much appreciation to you. I was that employee in yeah. so many jobs. Yeah. Just like showed up late and like didn't open the store or like closed it to go eat food. Yeah. Go, I mean, it's like you have to eat food. I was I was very – I'm like obedient. Like I was on time and like did the stuff. But then like <laughs> in other ways would fail. Like I just – or or yeah, like the, just being like I'm going to leave for a month. Like not understanding. Kate has been inventing her own style forever. True story, she even crafted her own major in college. It was a blend of anthropology and comedy. The cultural anthropology of comedy was her major. I asked her to tell us about her college experience. I went to Bard College Mm -hmm. up in the woods for a year, and then I left because I was like, I can't be in the woods anymore. And so I went to, I transferred to NYU and I went there and then I, I do have a master's, not to brag, and um, it was, a, I also, also like to throw in the detail, it was a one-year master's program. What? Maybe I shouldn't unveil I myself that. like that. I want that. I want one. It was great. It was, it's called performance studies. It's essentially cultural anthropology. Did you make up your own major? I did an undergrad. I went to Gallatin, which is where okay. you make up your own major. And you major. made up your major there. And I did like cultural anthropology of comedy. And I wrote like papers about like bearded women and like like feminist response to comedy or yeah that's cool I read that you said somewhere that you think the act of performance 
isn't it self a feminist gesture? Ooh, is I'll I mean, take it. I think that's amazing. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Because I, I mean, I agree, but I bet that because you went to college, you can explain it better than I can. Here, here's lesson one. No, I, uh, I think what I meant was just um, taking space, demanding, being annoying. Yeah, yeah, being annoying, being okay with that, being loud, allowing yourself to find to be in process and be messy yeah. and not be, you yeah. know, not worry about perfection. I was called annoying a lot as a child. Were you? I was called weird. Oh, yeah, I was weird and annoying. Yeah. I'm violently disorganized. Yeah, so many areas of my life like that, I feel like they're in pure chaos. Like I bought a filing cabinet like five months ago and I was like, it ends now and it's like upside down in like a <laughs> closet. I have to, in fact, today I was like, I'm going to start filing and I didn't. You so, do you. Thank you. <laughs> but... Yeah. So that was interesting. And just kind of the language of kind of expertise in academia and like hyper verbose, like performance of, of language and knowledge has always been like funny to me. And um, also very intoxicating. Like it's fun to speak like that. And it's like the height of, you know, the ultimate way of like taking yourself seriously. But then it's, it's embarrassing too. What have you taken from some of your early jobs into your career today well I do like like selling things like mm. like being like a salesperson or something like I'm by the way I'm gesturing towards water She's making right this now. water bottle look really appealing <laughs> <laughs> but it's the same thing like I've always loved like when I was little like giving like house tours or like show and tell was like very exciting and fun for me so I think in a way performance or stand-up it is connected to that in a way I mean you could say oh you have to sell yourself you have to like seduce an audience into listening to you and being interested in what you're having to say so it is sort of loosely related also teaching always I think if I wasn't interested in entertainment I would probably be a, a teacher because that's also like pure performance I was gonna I wrote I scribbled on here teach me improv yeah how do you learn improv like what is what is that like and well I'm you- untrained so you haven't taken brag. you haven't taken any improv no, classes? No. I took an improv 101 class when I was 18 and I hated it. I have like a huge problem with authority and so I really like Me too. I was there and I was like don't fucking don't teach me. You can't teach me or something. Also, again, I was like the youngest. It was mostly men. Um my teacher was a guy who I could tell didn't think I was funny and I've just felt kind of like belittled by him and the whole thing and I was like I don't want to like bow down to this system in order to like, um, you know, do what I want to do. So I, I sort of Did you just walk it. around on sidewalks and start like riffing with just people. Start riffing. Yeah, I mean, I think the stand up when I started my stand up was all really written out, like word for word, um, very planned. And then I started when I moved to New York. I started doing open mics where I would just get up and not really know what I was going to do and kind of just kind of stream of consciousness kind of ramble or talk and like and that started to get a reaction and started to be my favorite way to perform and then from that like I said that I kind of became writing for me I would like free associate and like find things do you ever not find your associations like do you ever does your mind ever go blank that's the scary thing my, about my mind went blank last night actually I was at a sh- I was at the show and I mean I never blame the audience, but it was kind of a dull, it was kind of a non-energized crowd. <laughs> I always blame myself, never them. But it was kind of just, I don't know. I, I Where just, was it? It was off. I can't reveal it to protect the identity. It was a small black box theater. Hmm. But but I did kind of have that feeling of like blankness. I was it, For me, it's just being unfocused. I was kind of unfocused. I was like, just got on stage and was like, whoops, I didn't, um, like I'm not here. I just didn't feel present. But you figure it out. You don't go crying, running. No, no. It's not like a carry moment. It's not a full carry. For me, it'll just kind of like, like this morning I woke up and I was like, oh God, like I said it out loud. I was like, oh God, just like temporarily like release the horror. But then it's, it's totally fine. And by the way, the show was fine. You know, it's not like It was I, okay. It was fine. Also anything outside of standup. I mean, I'm just so used to doing standup. I still get nervous every single show. It doesn't matter if it's like a tiny crowd or a huge crowd or whatever. I'm, I always feel nervous and I pretty much always have the feeling of, I mean, it's excitement. It's not like pure terror, but it's always kind of like, like I was doing a show recently at a theater in in New York and I was like walking down to the stage and I was like, if I just tumble down these stairs then I don't have to do the show, like I just like, (laughs) yes, you do. (laughs) And I was like, and then it went on to have a great show and it was fine. But there always is that feeling of like, 
terror and kind of like, oh, God, I don't want to do this. And now you perform at like South by Southwest and Sasquatch and have a TV show on you did something with Vimeo and then you sold something to Hulu. Yes, I just did a pilot for Hulu with my comedy partner, John Early. We make stuff together a lot. And um, yeah, who knows? How did this all come about? Because there's a lot of people out there like at open mic nights and there's plenty of people trying to, you know, make the comedy thing happen. I don't know. I mean, it is so it's it's crazy because I've been doing comedy for like 12 years. And so it's such a it's really just like sticking it out and just doing it so much. In the last couple of years has been the first time I've kind of let myself off the hook. And I used to feel like I have to be doing at least one show every single night. Wow. Like I have to. And I'm really glad that I did. And that was my time in New York. And you did that? Yeah, yeah. For how long? Probably like, you know, five or six years of doing that. Wow. Yeah. And then I still do shows a lot, but not necessarily every single night. And I've also realized like a show doesn't necessarily – like performing for me doesn't just automatically equal being productive like sometimes it's actually not productive just to like go do a show you could be writing a show right or just like taking time away and reading or getting ideas or doing absolutely nothing so but for the most part I do believe it's I'm like go do the show I all the time like trying to think of like last minute excuses do you have an agent now yeah yeah Wizards. But these shows I'm talking about are like just like random bar shows or, yeah. you know, just like unpaid, just like random shows. Kate performs regularly at comedy festivals like South by Southwest and Just for Laughs. I was curious to know whether or not she gets nervous performing and what it's like when things just don't go as well as she hoped. Truly terrible shows. They're they're so they're, they happen kind of all the time at these like small venues where people aren't listening or you're competing with music or I perform at a lot of music festivals which was very fun and I love doing it but in terms of from a performance standpoint it's like I did a show I guess it was like two summers ago where I was on at the same time Ice Cube was on so my whole show was like I just could hear Ice Cube's full set and it was and you know it's just like I was like well I can't really compete with Ice Cube so and but you can't even hear yourself yeah probably. yeah so stuff like that. But I had a show, I guess like a year or so ago, this guy saw me perform at a benefit and was like, will you perform for my company of entrepreneurs, like perform at this dinner we're having? And it was like, yeah, sure. And, um, you know, he's like, do five, you know, 10 minutes, like an easy like check. I was like, yeah, of course. So I show up at the Tribeca Grill and I was like, wait, where's the show? And then I was ushered to a back room and it's just like a long dining room table with just like white men in their fifties, like wrapped around it. And the idea and this like very sweet guy, but he was like, okay, so, um, the appetizers were just served. So I'm thinking you come in, do 10 minutes between appetizers and the entrees. And it was like one of those moments of just, there was no microphone, of course. I mean, it was like dinner theater it was like utterly bizarre. I was like, I feel like I'm in 1932. How many people were at the table? It was like, I mean, maybe like 30 people. Uh huh. But uh, it was so bizarre, it and and really they weird. didn't know who the hell I was, of course. And so this again, very nice guy, but he was like, "You've seen her on Netflix as the characters." I'm like, "No, they have not." And just uh, did some dinner theater, and actually, it was fun. I actually had an okay time, but that's like a bad show. Were there a few chuckles? Yeah, definitely. Well, of course it was 10 minutes. So like at minute eight, started to warm up and then I was like, I'm going to go. But it was, uh, but I actually like bad shows in a big way, like small shows, really low stake shows, shows where things are wrong, like a microphone doesn't work or yeah. it's like shitty. I actually enjoy you that. to to like create something new yeah. in that moment, right? Yeah. There's more like, yeah, and even just because if I am improvising or working off my environment, it's just it makes it automatically there's just like more to work with. How do you connect with the audience? I mean, it sounds like it's harder sometimes than others, but how do you connect with your audience and what do you want them to leave with when you perform? I don't know. I, I it's so like the alchemy of what makes a show good or bad or it's like so delicate and impossible to recreate it's like I don't know (laughs) I truly don't know but um I know for me it sounds yeah it sounds cheesy but really trying to like truly like try to be present or even if it just means I'm being present with myself and like ignoring them or something but just being focused and like and and open 
uh, and excited. And uh, I mean, you want them to laugh. That's what you want, you know, them yeah. to leave with. But um, yeah, I think I realized a few years ago that I was sometimes more, not more, the goal is absolutely to be funny, to make people laugh, but also to be interesting and to leave an impression. And that's kind of stuff that I tend to like. It's not, it's like something that leaves you with something or you're thinking about it or yeah, like, like just do something different. Yeah. Who are some of your favorite comedians? I don't have any. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Alive or dead? Yeah, living or dead. Um, well, I mean, right now, I mean, there I have like so many, but I think, I mean, when I started, I, I mean, Sarah Silverman, like when I, when I, when I saw Jesus is Magic when I was like 16 or whatever, it like changed my my life. And um, she's the best. It's so like the fact that I know her at all. I just did a segment on her Hulu show. I love you, America. And she is like just the kindest person like you'll ever meet. And it's she for sure doesn't probably remember this. But when I first like moved to L.A. or one of the first times I did like a real stand up show in L.A., she was in the green room like we were on the same show. And I was like I just was like trying not to be weird. And but she was like, I'm going to watch your set. And she like watched my whole set and I could like see her and hear her laughing and it was just like the most meaningful thing to me That's I've been so thinking cool. about that lately like the importance of just mentors or just people like I don't know what I would be without those experiences like it's everything without that encouragement it's just like so impossible and there's so few continue. women in comedy to even support one another and then comics are just kind of are known as ha- being like difficult sometimes it's or, so funny because like, that is but like comedians is that in my thing? experience are like so friendly and some of the most like generous caring people you'll ever meet so like yeah I mean of course like Sarah or the first time again one of the first times I did stand up in LA Maria Bamford was on the show with me and I again like could not believe it and I think I just went up to her and was like you have no idea like I'm freaking out that I'm on the same lineup as you and she was like I'll watch your set and she watched it and then it came up to me afterwards and wrote down her address and was like I'm having some people over on Wednesday like come over you're so funny and I was like shaking and then I I went and I was like this is crazy I was staying at my parents house when I was coming to LA I would stay at their place and I was like I'm gonna drive to Highland Park or I'm gonna just go to her house I was like she invited me she means it I was like you can't go you're crazy and I remember just like being parked outside of her house and being like just go in she wouldn't have invited you if she didn't and she was so sweet to me Reggie Watts was the first person that gave me like a big sort of opportunity I opened for him at Webster Hall and it was the first time I had done a 20 minute set I was only ever used to doing like 10 minutes or something and yeah 10 would be my speed yeah and he had me open for him and it was you know sold out at Webster Hall. I had never been in front of that many people in my life. We'll get back to our conversation with Kate Berlant in just a bit. But first, let's talk about Stitch Fix. Love it or hate it, there's no denying you could be shopping better. You either spend all day shopping and end up with yet another striped t-shirt, oh my god, or scroll endlessly online just to leave everything in your cart. I know that's what I do. So now you can shop the productive way and end up with things that you actually love, which is Stitch Fix. Whether you're looking to express your personal style, dress for the job you want, or just try something new, Stitch Fix can style you on your time. And I mean, they just went public and they do like a billion dollars in revenue. And I watched this happen while my company, my fashion company was trying to figure it out. They've cracked something Mm -hmm. really, really big here. You don't even have to leave the house to shop at Stitch Fix. You just fill out your style profile online and Stitch Fix will send clothes, shoes, and accessories picked just for you. Your size, your lifestyle, your budget, and of course, stuff that you like. Each Stitch Fix box contains five items you can try at home and you just pay for what you keep. So it actually costs you nothing unless you keep something. So it's like bringing the entire department store into your home with just your sizes. I mean, it's amazing. And sending back everything else is super easy. They cover shipping both ways for returns and exchanges too. And there's no subscription required. You're not going to get locked into any any plan here that you have to cancel and call and wait an hour on the phone to deal with. You can get your fix monthly, quarterly, or whenever you feel like it. So get started now at stitchfix.com slash girlboss. And you'll also get 25% off when you keep all five items in your box. Oh my gosh, that's a lot. That's stitchfix.com slash girlboss to try Stitch Fix today. That's S-T-I-T-C-H-F-I-X dot com slash girl boss. 
Stitch Fix is now listed on NASDAQ. Congratulations, Katrina. And now back to Kate Berlant. Kate collaborates a lot with comedian John Early. The duo released a series on Vimeo together in 2017, and they have appeared together on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. We did not know each other until we, we met five years ago. We both went to NYU and we have a lot of mutual friends, but we never met there. But we met on set of a of a friend's video shoot and it just was like classic like fireworks. Like we just became like immediately it it was crazy. And then he like spent like a week at my apartment and we just started like could not stop hanging out. And that lasted for a few years. He practically lived like it's in my best. bed with me yeah best. and now I'm like why was I single I was like I didn't get laid for years I'm like oh yeah because John was in my bed every <laughs> single night um but uh yeah and so he's really um I've had so many I have so many friends in comedy and people who I relate to who I feel like a kinship with or something but John really is like the first person where I felt like this crazy shared language and sensibility where I just feel like we're completely uh aligned and it's so fun. And so we, 555 happened. We had made some shorts with um, this writer-director, uh, Andy DeYoung. And we made some stuff. And then John and I were like, well, we should make like f- this little mini-series, like five short films. And Vimeo, who now no longer makes co- original content. But we got so lucky. We're there like right at the end. And just pitched them this. And they were like, okay. And then... Um, absolutely which is tim and eric's production company got on board and we made them like it was very fast shoot and it was very fun they're kind of surreal funny kind of strange a little maybe sad short films where john and i play different characters in each one all kind of loosely connected as being in la kind of loosely connected to hollywood or you know hollywood like aspirations um they're also mostly improvised um we did write scripts but it's most of what made it into the final cut is, is improvised. Wow. So tell, so for our audience who doesn't know what improv is yeah. or improvisation, mm-hmm. what, what is it? Like, how would you describe it? It is, I guess the purest distillation would be, um, like to avoid thinking beta blockers. <laughs> yeah. No. Although I'm sure I could use those. Do you consider yourself an extrovert? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you made a face like I wish I wasn't. Yeah, no, I need people in the worst <laughs> way. Yeah. Has that like affected you in any negative ways? Like needing, craving attention. Like Whitney Cummings has been on this podcast and talked a lot about codependency. And yeah. Is, you know, is in a program for it. Yeah. And does horse therapy for That's it. That's awesome. Has that is that something that you've been affected by? I have I definitely I think I I did spend a lot of time alone as a kid I think being an only child I had friends and stuff but I was I was around adults a lot it wasn't that I was alone it was that I was around adults and so that had a huge I think that formed in a huge way my sensibility and kind of my personality that's not answering your question but I <laughs> so you're I comfortable with being alone I'm comfortable being alone to an extent this is something that I do think about more lately because I'm like like I, my, my, my friend right now is like in Bali, like for two weeks alone. And I'm like, that sounds like hell for me. I'm like, I want two days and I travel alone to perform and I love it. Like I love like just going to like whatever town alone, but having a couple days and, and doing it like that really, I feel very happy doing that. But after the third day, I'm like, I want a goddamn friend. Like what, <laughs> what the hell? And so Part of me lately, I've been like, I should challenge myself and I should go to Esalen and do like a 12-day workshop alone Ooh, um, or something. Have, have you stayed there? No, no. Me neither. But I've constantly on the website, yeah. <laughs> I've added to my basket several workshops Ooh. and then been like, I can't afford this. <laughs> it's going under like a big overhaul. It is. For those of you guys listening, Esalen, it's E-S-A-L-E-N dot org. It. They, uh, it's in Big Sur and... It's been there forever. My mom would go like in the seventies. Really? Yeah. Um, I've gone to the baths. You have to yeah, go at like yeah. one a.m. to to use the like hot tubs because they have like natural stinky fart water that yeah. is good for you there. But my friend, all these tech people have gotten involved, and there was this big New York Times story like a couple weeks ago. One of our investors is on the board, and they're making it more of like a 
a little bit more no. of like a place for like Silicon Valley people to go. I'm to going like, to throw up on the mic. I know. I know. I mean, oh. yoga and like mental like health. The last and... people that need healing are like Silicon Valley people. Sorry, Foley. I'm like, I think I'm like, they do need eat. healing. I, I, th- I think they might. Don't you think? They don't deserve it. I'll, I'll, oh. I'll derail it. I'm like, I'm like, enjoy your wealth, but like leave it to others and keep stay away there's from still Esalen. people they still deserve yeah. to like not kill themselves but i am very like <laughs> anti i'm like i'm like just tell me more this is this is the most like fired up <laughs> you've been i'm, I'm just like up. let's turn the podcast into this no no well i guess there's just something so grotesque about silicon valley people being like i need to really get in touch with like what's going on inside so I can make the poor poorer. <laughs> like, I'm just like, something about it. I know it's like fully. I also, I speak very hyperbolically and that's a huge part of my sense of humor. No, I think a lot of people would agree with you. And my politics is is hyperbole. Your hair's great. Thank you. My hair is also hyperbolic. It's too long. I'm refusing to cut oh it. Oh my God, it's so amazing. Um, thank you so much. But, um, well, I mean, of course, in the most obvious sense, I'm like, oh, it's just depressing to think about Esalen, which is already an expensive place. It's not like anyone can afford to go there. Yeah. Although they do have scholarship programs, but just something like that. Becoming yeah. more exclusive. Yeah, becoming exclusive and being something that truly only the wealthy can have access to. Kate is obsessed with social media, and I'm sure she'd love to know you're listening to her on this podcast. You can follow Kate on Twitter at Kate Berlant. I would say the most negative element of my life is probably my attachment to the internet and like my just full fledged addiction to my phone. You have a pretty big social media following, right? You know, I'm low tier for looking at it, but, well, you're, but there's micro influencers and they matter you. just as I much. I love that. Maybe I'm a micro. I don't know. But, um, <laughs> but yeah. And so I struggle with my relationship to the internet because on one level, I love it. It's like been huge for me it's how I get people to my shows it's how I interact with people like I don't have a major platform other than my own platform to to interact with people so I'm I I love that I've made friends through there I've gotten jobs through there whatever but also I definitely do not use it responsibly like I am addicted to it and I'm constantly and I know everyone's like we know bitch shut up it's like we all are going through this but lately I almost feel like I'm like hitting rock bottom I'm like I have to stop I think the whole world is hitting rock bottom with social media right now it is such a such a thing and you know we crave attention we share like the best parts of our lives and hide the worst parts of our lives and maybe put some bad stuff on insta stories but still only if like I mean only if we're comfortable with that bad stuff you know it's such a like filter that we use to even curate our vulnerability through yeah which in a way is like not that vulnerable i'm codependent with my phone okay i just realized fully yeah me too yeah so this is it's (laughs) (laughs) this is me i'm like (laughs) reporter changing the subject this podcast is in the business category which is i mean whatever (laughs) it's me and a bunch of guys mostly in the business category in itunes and I'm just curious what you think improv can do for those of us who are gearing up for like a job interview or, I mean, it seems like more and more people are using improv like in the workplace to improve our ability to, I don't know, I could use it to speak in front of my company or maybe even to be a better podcast host. But yeah. What do you, what, how do you think improv could improve our like our, the workplace or, you know, how we interact with one another in a professional environment? God, I don't, because... I know that that is something like people take improv seminars, like corporate improv seminars or whatever. Probably in Silicon Valley. Yeah, yeah. God bless them. May they find peace. But I feel like, I mean, and again, I say this as someone who hasn't gone through the system, so I don't know exactly like what the like the the rules and quotes of improv. Like I don't really know what those are. But of course, like the main thing is I think listening. Like that's the main mm-hmm. element of it, and it's like listening and almost not trying in a way or like just being in the moment and seeing how things develop and not not forcing a direction I'm trying to do that right now and not look at my notes and I don't know what I would say because I'm like I'm like listening but I'm like listening and gearing up for the next question always Well, of course it's hard and I'm like that I mean I'm not the best listener absolutely not I'm definitely like in my head and and it's like something I'm trying to work on so yeah so maybe for the business world when you're talking to a client 
Listen. Just listen. I mean, I don't, I, no, I don't really. know. No, really. I mean, I'll unpack that. Like, listening is so important. It's hard. I mean, we work, I mean, we listen to our audience and they tell us, wow, this is the kind of content that I want. And we build our, our editorial strategy around that. We talk to brands and they say, we really want to be known as this. How can we work with you to extend Google Chromebooks into the conference you guys are having in a way that's like really integrated and like, you know, makes sense that it's going to create value for everybody. And only through like sitting and asking questions and listening and I don't know, Im- th- then you can improvise on, mm-hmm. I guess, the answers. But yeah, improv, improv. It is like if you if you guys have ever watched anyone do improv, it's pretty mind blowing. Oh, yeah. It can be very because magical. The only words that like pop into my head when my head is blank is like poop, fart. And yeah, I'm like, yeah. fart poop and i think that's funny and that's my whole like (laughs) nothing else really i'm still six years old yeah anyway what advice do you have for someone who might be interested in getting into comedy or specifically women who might be interested in getting into comedy well now it's it is remarkable how much like the landscape of comedy has changed even just like from when i started or even like five years ago or I mean I think about now the amount of women and young women and like queer people and non-white people that are in comedy it blows my mind I mean it's like like the world's fucked up and there's all this like you know horrific stuff happening every day but when I look at comedy I'm like it is surreal the way it has changed and the culture has like moved forward to be more, more inclusive it's it's just like it's it's wild. So it is a more hospitable um I don't know economically, but in terms of just socially, I think things are more it's like more hospitable than ever. Like when I was starting, if there had been more women around or like queer people around, I can't imagine what those early years would have been like for me. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that there haven't been queer people and <laughs> non-white people there before, but just there's just there's more comedy now is this like industry that it just wasn't. Like when I started doing stand up, it was like still strange like it was like people were like what are you talking what do you mean what? <laughs> that's like it was weird. so bizarre uh-huh. and now it's like kind of just like being like oh yeah like it's just like a trade now or it's just something that people do i much, think i much still more. think it's a little weird but, totally but, but like yeah cool and 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 really kind of um mysterious in a way because it's acting is like something people do that like is seems more vain in mm-hmm. a way yeah, and yeah. comedy is like just you know yeah you're standing on a stage just talking to people and i mean you can be a comedic actor and then that like makes more stand up is such a, it's still like it's like public speaking which to me is the most foreign thing like because i've had to do it and it's still public so terrifying is scary. if i have to talk about in front of people and it's not comedy i'm like horrified like i in school having to read like papers out loud like i would be like Ugh, like i'd so like want to throw up reading out loud so it's scary but everyone's scared figure out how to make it my comedy so advice to women who might want to get into comedy like where do you start the only way you start is by just just doing it and letting yourself figure it out and not be like cruel to yourself and think that you're gonna what if we're not in la what if there is no comedy store well where was it you went you now the laugh factory oh whoops but um it's it's like I don't go there anymore. <laughs> but um but it's um you the amazing thing about comedy is I mean the first answer is like your phone, like the internet is real. Like that's how people exist mm-hmm. now and start gaining followings wherever they are. Um but I still think there's no substitute for the act, like live performance. And I would be hard, it's like hard to think of a city or a place that doesn't have a comedy scene at this point. So it seems like even if you aren't in the middle of a active comedy scene, you might be like two hours away from one or an hour away from one. There's no, you just, I mean, it's like the only advice there, there is no advice. Truly. The only thing is just like start doing it as soon as you can. Yeah. And like, don't let up. I mean, that really is it. I like to say to people that like, and really, truly, the only difference between other than like brain surgeons, the the difference between the people who are doing what you want to be doing, like so many women who come on this podcast and people you admire, the only difference between you and them is that they're doing it. And it's like it's actually like nobody knows how to get there until they're like they're doing it. And yeah, you have to put in the time and the hours and figure out how to 
get better at what you're doing and do it five or seven nights a week in front of strangers in a big city. Yeah. Get while used you're to in hell. college and get yeah. used to the terror. Put it's yourself like, that's through hell. It. Yeah. Like I'm just used to. I'm like I know I'm going to be nervous and dread something or be like I can't do this. Yeah. If we didn't put ourselves in those positions, we'd never grow. And you know I'm. Whew, I mean, I keep putting myself in really uncomfortable positions, but I got, I swear to God, the most uncomfortable one of everything that I've done, intentional or on accident, is still public speaking. But yeah. I'm an introvert, so. Um, and the podcast <laughs> is like I get to like hang out in a room, like yeah, you know, I'm not by myself, but I'm not like perform- I'm not in front of a group of people whose faces are gonna are like, looking into their phones or oh God, staring up at you. Like some people just have like resting like snarl face and. People on their phones. That's I was thinking. I did a show Ugh. recently that was great. That was in a theater, so it was like just like dark, like just black. Like the crowd was just like pure darkness, mm-hmm. and then I just saw like one cell phone light, like every now and then, like someone clearly texting. And it's amazing how here's most people are having a great time. They're being wonderful. Mm-hmm. There's one person who's maybe periodically looking at their phone, mm-hmm. and so for me that like derails it, and it just all goes all to that one that tiny one light, and it's like back, yeah. ignore them. Like everyone else is, is on your side, but so don't text when you're at shows. So you said that it's a more hospitable place for women in comedy now. Um, but it's, there's also like with the Louis CK allegation, I mean, not allegations. I mean, I think he pretty much copped to it. Yeah. You know, what's it like to be a woman in comedy right now? How did, how did that affect you? Yeah. I mean, it comes as no surprise. I've been, I've been extraordinarily lucky and that, so many i'm trying like what have you witnessed in the that you don't ex- want to know honey no i'm just kidding we want to break the story <laughs> <laughs> i i goddamn wish i had something to break no it's uh may they all burn i think uh it's an incredible <laughs> moment i mean this is a cleansing fire burn it down are you kidding me bye bye bitch goodbye it's over i mean it's gone yeah so and that way it's great i think the only way i don't think anyone's going to respect women anymore it's just economic terror. That's the only thing you can put in these people's hearts is like, oh, yeah, if you if you abuse someone, if you're assaulting someone, you're going to lose your job. Mm-hmm. I mean, ultimately, they're not going to start seeing About women time. as people. They're just going to – it's just like scare people at their – that's what counts as – that's what changes things is money. Mm-hmm. People think they're going to make less money or lose money. They're not going to do it. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be like suddenly realize the, subjective, so the subjectivity of women and that – you're, you know, ruining people's lives with this behavior. It's like, it's just going to be money. So in that way, it is very positive. I've also heard people say, you know, this potential for like backlash or people being scared to hire women. Like, oh, they're going to, if I hug a woman, she's going (laughs) to threaten my job or whatever. You know, it's like, so I don't know. I think it's, it's essential. This is the only way things change. It's like, it's an, it's an exciting time in that way. Like waking up, I'm like, who's next? Let's go. I can't wait. So we have something on the show called Girl Boss Moments. And a Girl Boss Moment is the time in your most recent history where you felt like you were in charge of your shit, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like and it could be personal, it could be work wise, just when you didn't feel like you're doing something because you're obligated to, but you did something like really for yourself. What was your most recent girl boss moment, Kate? Well, just the thing that immediately comes to mind is really the process of writing this pilot and starring in it and like being a producer on it and just having my hands all over something that I'm also so invested in, like emotionally, creatively, kind of on on every level and not having to compromise and feeling like, oh, wow, this is really just exactly what I want to be making. And there's nothing that it's like the greatest feeling. And so... I've always like like making five 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 or making things that are really your own, and I think that's why I love stand up so much is that it's directly from me. I mean, it's just like there's no middleman. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I'm curating the experience. It's just it's just mine, and so that's really the greatest feeling. And so doing this, I had never been in a in I had never written a tv show before or or written for tv in that way and then just see it come to life it's like just truly surreal it's it's incredible and it's the kind of thing that sounds really scary and it is scary in a way but it's really um exciting 
At Girlboss, we dream of a broader definition of success, and we're making it a reality. A kind of definition, in reality, that celebrates side hustles and self-care. Before she left, I asked Kate her opinion on the word and what it means to her. For me, doing stand-up, getting into comedy, one of the most incredible elements of that is just like, and it sounds so obvious or cheesy or something, but like just the friends you make and this like wild feeling of, of belonging to something and of having of having a, like a community. I think that really is what makes me happy. happiest is like feeling a part of something and kind of getting out of your maybe obsessive like individualism in some way. And like kind of it's an amazing feeling when you feel like you're you aren't only thinking about yourself. I say that as an only child who loves attention who uh-huh. in many ways. And also I think it's very important to sometimes only think about yourself and to like take care of yourself and do what you need to do. But it also is a is a balancing act also because when you're driven or you're obsessed with something, which is like a wonderful feeling and very exciting, you it's very easy to forget that that thing might you're never going to stop wanting more. Like I know for myself, it's like you, you should never be finished. You should never be done. Like you're only like, for me, I know like I'm only as good as my last show. Like, Mm -hmm. so it's like, it's always regenerating. I always have to keep doing better, but that's not necessarily going to bring me like ultimate happiness. Like what is ultimate happiness? I feel very happy and fulfilled, like enjoying the process. To me, that's what, I guess that's what success is, is, actually being able to enjoy the process of something because you might not never actually arrive at where you're mm-hmm. you know what your ultimate goal is like you could hit that and still feel like incomplete and like you're not done mm-hmm. so if you can enjoy that process then I think you're so lucky and the people you're doing it with yeah and the, like yeah the people that are around you and r- really working to choose the people that are around you and you're um, lucky if you get to do that yeah yeah so I think that's That's the tops. Yeah, I agree. Grab your girlfriends and catch Kate doing her thing at UCB Theater in LA every fourth Wednesday of the month. Thank you so much for joining us on the first episode of Girlboss Radio in 2018. For more Girlboss, visit girlboss.com and follow us on social at Girlboss. Thank you for listening.